Hey, let's talk about breaking the cycles. When your mother told me what happened to you, like I instantly, my heart sunk. I'm like, not again. Like I'm, we're, I'm gonna be reliving this all over again. Welcome to Breaking the Cycles, Lavina and Sophia. My mom, Lavina, is taking a break doing mom things, so you guys get me today to see us. I would like to introduce my guest today, Tosh. Hi. Tosh, thank you for joining me today to share your journey of rediscovering yourself after sexual and emotional abuse. So I know very little about your story, but what I do know is that it's very, very similar to mine. So mm-hmm. do you want to take it away from here? Sure. Um, so let's see. My So my life was all fine and dandy until my mother met my father. Um, it became, um, at first I thought he was, he was okay. Um, then he became very comfortable around us. Mind you, my life started off in foster care uh, prior, so I had a pretty messed up childhood. I would say probably started around when I was like, give or take maybe seven. I've been living from home to home, from home to home, so I never really have a stable uh, house or stable education because I was bounced around through God's creation. Um, so to start off that kind of like screwed with me because my mom used to abuse me physically, like as far as she used to, and mentally I would say, she was a single mom raising me and my sister. So I understand, you know, the pressure on her of, of being a mother and a father and trying to hold down a yeah. household. So it was difficult for her. I did understand. But as a child, you kind of want to be a child and not grow up before your time. But in my mother's case, I kind of like took the role of a mother um, so I can kind of like help her out. Um, and I think I grew up way too fast than I wanted to. Um, so when I find, so I was out of my mom's life, I would say probably for like 10 years. I saw her on and off, on and off. Then she met my stepfather. We would have gotten back with her um, sooner, but because she met him, he had to go through parenting classes. So that kind of delayed our care of going back with her. So it was kind of hurtful, but whatever. Um, you know, Luckily, I had my aunt who took us in before we were able to go back to my mother. So that kind of like, we were kind of with family, but it felt like we were like intruding almost. But we've, we were, I was glad that we had a loving household and not complete strangers. Um, no one really knows this, but the, um, third family I would say I've been with, I believe. Yeah, maybe the third, the father um, tried to put his hands on me. And that's when I called my social worker and I, he didn't get as far as sexually, I would say he got as far as touchy-feely and it was very uncomfortable for me and my sister was in the same room. So it was like, okay, I need to do something about this. So that's one thing no one really knows about. I kept that to myself um, because, one, I didn't know how to deal with it. 
being a young child in the foster system, not having a mother to like lean on. So I lost trust in people from that point on. Um, then I kind of gained trust back when I went back with my aunt, thinking, okay, I'm with family, everything will be all fine and dandy, I'll be back with my mother in no time. Fine, it worked out perfect, I have no problem with that. Then my mother met this guy, and she fell in love with him, and she got married, so I kind of delayed us going back with her. When we finally got back with her, he showed us as we did. So we never really knew what a father was. I didn't grow up with my father. Yeah. My father disowned me when I was five. So him coming in our lives is like, oh, wow, this is what a dad feels like. Like we got to the point where we trust this man. You know, he would buy us everything and anything. Um, um, try basically try to win our our, our love over, um, and it was great. It was it was awesome. But then he got too comfortable with us. Um, I used to tell him like he used to drop me off to school, um, and he would kind of like look at me in the rearview mirror, and I would catch him a few times. And I would not think of anything, and I was like, are you looking at me? And he would say, no, I'm looking at the cars in the back. I didn't know. I didn't know how to drive. I didn't know anything. So, you know, a couple of times he did it, I felt a little odd, and I told my mother, I was like, Mom, I don't know if it's true or not, but I don't like the way he looks at me in the car. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, he says he looks at, he looks at the car and behind him, but... Sometimes there's no cars behind him, and I catch him looking at me in the rearview mirror. So I don't know. So she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll talk to him about it. I brushed it off, whatever. Then um, I was probably in, like, junior high. Yeah, I was junior high school, uh, senior year. Um, at one point, you know, in, high, in junior high school, you may have crushes. You fall, you know, you kind of, like, you don't know what falling in love is, but at my point, at that time, I was like, well, I really like this boy. So we got to talking, and nothing happened. We were just talking, you know, like the school crush type fling, you know, school fling thing, whatever the other kids call it nowadays. But it was just we exchanged phone numbers, we would talk, that that kind of like boyfriend, girlfriend, first crush type of thing. It was, you know, whatever. We would talk on the phone and everything, and I guess when he would call the house, my stepfather would call the house to check on us. The phone would always be busy because I was on the phone. You know, <laughs> I was on the phone. So he, I guess, got tired of the phone being busy all the time, and that and that time he had dial-up. I know. So um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so he, I, I guess, planted a recording device every time the phone would ring. The recording. Um, would pick up on the conversation, so he picked up on my conversation wow. on, on, with this with this boy. You know, young kids we talk kind of flirting, whatever. Um, so I guess he didn't like that, and he threatened to tell my mother. At that point, my mom left the country because my grandfather died, so she went back to Guyana to um, stay there to go be with the rest of the family. So she and she was pregnant, so she didn't really know what was going on. So the uh he decided to um wake me up in the next morning 
and said, um, you're not going to school. I said, what do you mean I'm not going to school? I have to go to school. I have state exams. I have to go to school. I, I need those uh, exams to graduate. He's like, you're not going to school. So I cried. I shut the door and I cried. Then 20 minutes later, he comes up. He's like, all right, get dressed. I'm bringing you to school. So I quickly, at that point, I was like maybe half hour late for school already. This, the exam already started. So I was like aggravated as it is. Then he dropped my sister off. He dropped me off, but didn't quite drop me off to school. He took a detour, which was odd. And I didn't question it because he was a taxi. At that point, he was a taxi driver. So, you know, he knew all the ins and outs of the street. So I didn't think of it anything. Then all of a sudden, he pulled over onto this, I would say, um, dead end, kind of like a offset street. It's close to the highway, but not really near the highway. So anyways, he pulled over there, and he was like, I just want to ask you a question. I was like, what? You know, at first I asked him, I said, why are we here? He's like, I need to ask you a couple questions. I'm like, okay. Um, he's like, are you a virgin? I was like, what? You know, it caught me off guard. I'm like, this man is not even my father. Like, why is he asking me this question? And I asked him that. I said, why does it matter if I am right now? He's like, I just need to know because I know you're seeing a boy. I'm like, at that point, now my heart sunk. I'm like, how does he know? I tried everything in my power to hide this from my parents, how does he know? Not knowing, he was planted a recording. He told me, he's like, I have your conversation recorded. And he played me the conversation in the car. And I was very upset. I felt violated. You know, like my own mother wouldn't even do something like this. And who is this guy to come, to just walk up of my life and just take the place of my father? So I was mad. I'm a typical teenager. I was very mad. Um, so, um, you know, he was like, I need to check and, you know, he's like, I need to make sure that you're a virgin. I was like, no. I said, what do you mean? I go to the doctor. The doctor can tell you. He's like, no, I don't, I can't afford a, a doctor's bill. Now, I didn't know at that point. I wasn't working. I didn't know what, what things, you know, how things work. They never, you know, their parents, they never tell us their finances. So I didn't know what was going on. So I felt bad, you know, and he's like, I need to check and see if you're a virgin. I was like, Mm-mm, no, this is not happening. Now, I felt very, very scared. Very, very scared. At that point, at that point, I felt very, very uncomfortable. I was like, "You're not checking me to make sure I'm a virgin. That this, this is absolutely, this makes no sense. This is bizarre." Now I had nobody. Now I was scared. I had nobody to go to. I didn't know what this guy was capable of. Um, um, not and then you know, not to jump the gun or anything, but a few, probably a few months prior to this incident, his brother tried to make a move on me, and he got very upset. I got very upset. My mother got very upset. So I've been kind of like assaulted in many different ways. And, you know, it, it's hard to come from it, but I've learned from it and I've moved on. But for this guy to come who I trust with my entire life as a father to come in my life and kind of like disrespect me in a way like and no other person would have ever done that and I knew to a fact I was a virgin I knew from a fact I was a virgin so I could put my life on and I swore on everything up up and down I, I was like I swear on everything I said I am a virgin I wouldn't lie about something like this but he did not believe it he did not believe it and he was like I'm going to tell your mother but your mother's going to be so upset she's pregnant and then she, she has to deal with your grandfather's death and then she's going to come back and deal with this the how you're a whore and all this stuff I was like whoa what part of me talking to a boy makes me a whore I haven't even we all we did was hold hands 
I was afraid to even kiss him. What the hell? How is that being a whore? So I was very livid. I was very upset, and I didn't want to upset my mother at any point. So I was like, I honestly don't remember because it happened so long, and I tried to forget about it. I don't remember what led up to the point, but he ended up uh, going as far as taking my virginity. I was 12. So 12 turning 13, so I was already, I already had gone through the changes already. So it was very upsetting to be a 12-year-old and having to deal with the fact that you're now a woman. So there's two women yeah. living in the house. You know, it was hard. I couldn't face my mother. Like, you know, my mom, here, here my mom is sleeping in the same bed with this guy when he just took, he basically disrespected my entire childhood. My entire childhood was my entire childhood was ripped from me in a matter of seconds. That's how I felt. And there's nothing I could possibly have done to help me in a situation because me as a person, being the oldest grandchild and the oldest daughter, I felt like I had no one to confine in. I was never strong. I never had a strong relationship with my mother. Till this day, I don't have a strong relationship with my mother. I'm married. I have two kids. I've been married for eight years now. Been with the same guy for 13 years. I still don't have a strong relationship with my mother. So I think being that, with that situation, my mom was in denial. She was in denial. She didn't want to believe it happened. She recently got divorced from this guy. So think about it. She chose love over her own flesh and blood. You know, um, he cheated on her now. He's suffering from cancer. Like, all this stuff is all karma happening to him now. I don't wish karma upon anybody, but this is all. This karma is does he, happen. Right. It does. You pay to learn. Yeah. And I hope he learns big time. You know, he screwed up. And I, I thought, from my eyes, a wonderful marriage. You know, besides the normal ups and downs married couple has, I thought, you know, they were fine, but then he went and did this, and honestly, he thought that we had a future. He told my mother, my mother asked him, one, give me one reason why you would do this to me. He said to her, <laughs> this was so upsetting, he said to her, because I've never had a virgin before. So that was like a straight slap in the face without physically slapping my mother. To know he was like, but she went after my, she went, it's like you, but you went after my daughter. There's like a thousand and one, they, there's a whole bunch, like a million and one women out in this world. You chose my daughter. Why would you do that? He could not give her an answer. But the only explanation he could have given to her was that he never had a virgin before. And he thought that we had a, I would say a relationship. He thought that we were going to get married. He thought we were going to have children together and be a, 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 a have a future white picket fence and no issues and this is going to be all dandy like a normal life. In my eyes, I didn't see that. He was very controlling. You know, like I couldn't wear shorts that are right by my knee, it had to be below my knee, I couldn't wear skirts, like, I, and he would get my mother on board with all these things, and my mother never saw that, but, like, why can't she wear skirts, 
like it, it's a skirt with shorts on. Like why can she wear a simple tank top or a little sleeveless shirt? Why? She never picked up on that. It did never click to her that that was him being controlling. Like she, he would do this to her. Her being my mom, he would he would do this to her too. She couldn't wear certain clothing, and it just never clicked to her that this was happening. She never picked up on it. There was no signal. She never. We asked her, "Did you have any idea?" And she said, "No." But she was in denial. She, I would say, she so she didn't know how to basically cope with this. It was very hard for her. Um, and I did see that we went through therapy together. I walked out of the therapist's office because everyone kept telling me it wasn't my fault, but it was my fault. I shouldn't have let it happen. And, you know, being a 12-year-old, you ha I, have no, I had no one to confine me. I kept all my problems to myself, so I was afraid to tell anybody. I didn't want to. I didn't want be. I didn't want to be labeled as, oh, you broke your mom's marriage again, which is what I got. I got that anyway. So that was. I should have just, just if I knew that the, this was going to be the outcome of going down that path, I would have just said something from the start. But I was very afraid. So I understand where you're coming from of being afraid. Everyone copes with this very, very differently. I had, I don't know, like I said, I walked out of therapist's office because they told me it wasn't my fault. I'm like, how is this not my fault? I should have said something. And I wouldn't have been here right now. So it went on for me, it went on for five years because I felt trapped. I, I could not, I felt like I couldn't say anything. And he had me wrapped around his, like, finger. Like, I felt like I was a hostage in my own house. I couldn't. I had to be picked up and dropped off. I couldn't go anywhere. My phone was being tracked. My bills were being tracked. Like I couldn't talk to anybody. If I did talk to somebody, he would pull my cell phone bill and be like, "Who are you talking to for for 35 minutes?" Mind you, I worked at the airport at that time, so I felt like I was like I was constantly being watched. I was constantly being watched, and I just didn't know it. Like things I did would get back to me. I'm like, "How did you know this?" If he would, he would ask me, oh, did you go to this class? I'm like, no, I didn't go to that class. I didn't have any class. But how did you know I didn't have class? You know, like you have to be a student in order to find out that I didn't have class. So that was scary. I felt, you know, like no one knew that I did feel trapped. But, I, I, you know, I worked out of it. Then, you know, I started working at the airport, and I met my husband through the phone. Um, we've been, you know, together like I said, almost 13 years, two wonderful kids, you know, so it's, it's a lot of, it's a work in progress. There are things that do trigger it, like every Super Bowl Sunday is an anniversary of me telling my family what really went on. So every Super Bowl will remind me of, and I honestly, I feel proud. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm being trapped. I feel when I look at Super Bowl Sunday, I'm like, wow, this is the day that set me free. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like. Yeah, I, this, I see what you mean. This is the day that I can be my own person, not be afraid. Like, I'm not afraid anymore. You know, I, I am afraid of speaking my mind. And, uh, that's a work in progress. But I am afraid to 
um, I'm not afraid to be my person. Like, I feel like I can spread my wings. You know, now that I met my husband and he's kind of, he kind of been, he's been very supportive through thick and thin. Like, the day I met him, we talked and he was like, you know, one thing I don't want you to do is to lie to me. I want us to build a trust. So that's when I decided to open up and tell him. And we have been through everything together. I've been through, I wouldn't say therapy. He was my therapy. His mom works for Children in Crisis who has gone through stuff like this. And um, so she was kind of like my therapist, my personal therapist, I would say, and she would give me advice. She wouldn't push me to do something I would do. She would kind of like guide me yeah. in the right way. You know, and I felt like that's what I want. I don't want somebody to tell me, oh, you need to go do this. No, I don't need to do that. I don't need to see somebody. I can handle this on my own. Let's see, I'm 32 yeah. years old now, so I've been dealing with this all my life. You know, there are obviously there's going to be things that trigger it, um, but you just have to work through it. You have a very strong support system. You have me. I have been through hell and back, and I feel like if I can do it. I can't say anybody can do it, but from hearing my story, you can see that I've been through a lot. And now you see why I have trust issues with telling people things. But I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> I'm working on it. I, so. I, I want to say, though, that I, I did tear up quite a bit. I, I actually had a lot of tears coming out because there's so much that you said that I have been through the exact same thing. And it's it's so, like, it's heartbreaking to hear that someone else has been through the exact same thing that I have. Well, like, very, it's very, very similar. When I say very, very similar, I mean, like, very, 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 very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, from the control to his reasonings, why he did it, it's like, and I... I Ooh, I need to breathe for a second. <laughs> um, it's like, it's just crazy. Like, we expect that our parent, our, our parental figure, especially a step-parent at that, is supposed to be replacement of your, you know, your biological parent, for example. You right. know, my biological parent, he, he was a very horrible person. Mm-hmm. Is very abusive. So I still have certain memories of that. I still have certain stories that was told of me, told to me, of what happened to both my mom and I. And then my stepfather, I've known him, I knew him since I was five, six years old. And it took so many years for it boiled down to when I was 16, 17 years old that my virginity had to be taken away. And for the whole reason of he wanted a future, he it was a revenge scheme. It was just so much little things all mixed together where, you know, all my phone calls were recorded, all my text messages were recorded, everything was just recorded. And if I didn't go to class, somehow he'd figure out, oh, you didn't go to this class. Or somehow he would figure out, oh, you're not at the house right now, you're down the street. And it's it was just, oh my, there's so many similarities that I could just go on and on and on about. And it brought so many tears because, yeah, it it sort of triggered, but then at the same time there was that that kind of sense of it being heard but also related to very heavily that it just, 
emotions started rising, and it was like, it's just the only thing that I could think of is just, wow, this, this people are just, these type of people are just insane, and it's crazy how controlling they can be, and it's crazy how much of a control factor that they can have over us, that we have to keep this secret, we have to keep this hidden, and until it boils over to the point where we can't do it anymore, it's us who have to pick up the damage. It's us who has to pick it up and move forward and continue on and live day to day in the face of this happened to me and it still hurts, but I still have to be an adult and I still have to go on and fix myself. Not fix myself, but like move forward and live a life. Ooh. You know, and I, I, I have very... I, you know, I shouldn't say sympathy, but I see exactly where you're coming from, and that's why I agreed to do this meeting with you, because I wanted you to see that you're not in this by yourself. You are not in this by yourself. The road to recovery is going to be a little bit, but you have a great support system. You have a loving, wonderful mother. You have me. You have your grandmother. You know, you have your 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 sister-in-law or your aunt-in-law who, you know, I'm not sure how it's called, but you have everybody, you know, you figure out trust issue is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Building trust with people is going to be very, very hard. So It is really difficult. Very difficult. It's not an easy road, but you're on the road to recovery. Very, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's easy. It's not but you have a strong support system. You know, I, I feel like you will take time to recover from this. I feel like the more you talk about it, however you feel comfortable, will help you to recover from this. I am here for you 110% any hour of the night. You can call, you can text, you can write, you can do whatever you can to reach out if you need support. I don't know if you know this part um, or even if your mother knows this part, but I did get pregnant by him. I never carried the child. I aborted the, the, so it happened twice. The first time it happened, he didn't know about it. I went and got it done myself. Um, I felt like <laughs> my whole life was ripped apart because... It's not, I don't believe in abortions to an extent, but I feel like this was not something I would want happen to me. Like, I wouldn't want to put this child down this road. The second time it happened, I was, I would say, tricked. Here's how, here's what I mean by tricked. I was on, so I met, I was talking to my boyfriend, now husband at the time, I was um, getting ready for school, so I was telling him, you know, what my day was going to be like and how I might not talk to him until later, you know, and, and yada, yada, whatever. Um, so we hung up, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go jump in the shower. Same time, my stepfather called me, and he says, oh, um, just so you know, he was a taxi driver still. Um, I was in college, um, so I was probably like, I don't know, eight, uh, 18, 19 maybe. Um, and he called and said he was going to be a little late. 
Um, I said, okay, that's fine. I'll just take Mom's car and go drop it off at the airport. Because he was doing me a favor and bringing me to school so I don't have to take the train. So um, I said, I'll just take Bob's car, I'll take the train, whatever. Not knowing this fool was in the in the house, I had no idea. So I got put on some music. Mind you, I'm the only one alone home. So I got dressed, started, you know, putting stuff away and getting in the shower, shut the bathroom door. I pulled the shower curtain and he was standing in the shower. He said to me, I was like, what are you doing? Now, mind you, I was completely naked, getting ready to turn the shower on, pull the curtain, and bam, I see a human body in the shower. So I'm like, what, what the hell is going on here? I said, what are you doing in here? I said, I thought you said you were, you were going to be late. He was like, who are you on the phone with? Took my phone and snapped it in half. Prior to that, he told me not to talk to my now husband. He said not to talk to him ever again. So I used to sneak phone calls and call the job. That's the only way I would get through to him without, like, raising a red flag. Because it would be a 718 yeah. number, not not a Connecticut number, because I would work at the airport. So I would, you know, call for transportation for the passengers. So I would use my cell phone to dial the company phone, which is a 718 number, which connects it to a, a Connecticut number. I don't know. It's weird. So it wouldn't raise red flags. It's only I would talk to him. So when he looked through my phone, he was like, who were you talking to? Because he was expecting to see a Connecticut number, but it wasn't. It was a 718 number. So um, yeah. he said, who are you talking to? I said, no one. He's like, you're lying. He took my phone, snapped it in half, literally threw me on the counter, covered my mouth, and went at it again. Okay, that's when I had the last straw. I literally, he left at that point. I showered, took my mom's car. No, no. Yeah, I took my mom's car, and I flew down to the airport, parked it, and I went to the airport, and I called my boyfriend, now husband, and told him, come pick me up. I'm done. That was the last straw. That was when I said, you know what, screw this. Mind you, I only I only saw my husband now one time before I moved in with this guy. So I had no idea what I was walking in t- into. I just needed to get out of the situation. I was done. I was tired. I was frustrated. At that point, I was thinking suicidal. But I said, you know what, let me call this guy and see what this, this, this life is going to bring me down. And it's the best decision I ever made. A very risky decision. I don't recommend it. <laughs> the best decision. I think I, I already followed that <laughs> that path, though. You know, and I have even today. He asked me why did I choose him. I still can't give him an answer. I still till till this day cannot give him an answer. You know, I it was just a very risky situation. I was done. I didn't know. So when I moved down to Connecticut now at that point, I had I left with the clothes I had on my back and the books I had on my book bag. I came to Connecticut with nothing. I had no money. I left my debit card in my mother's car. So I had just gotten paid, but I couldn't take it out because my debit card was in her car. That's a totally different subject. She completely ran my account dry, left me with $10 in the account. So, yeah. Um so I basically had to struggle um, here. My hu- husband, boyfriend at that time, um, 
basically spent his entire life saving on a hotel. Mind you, the cheapest hotel in Connecticut is $99 a night. So we were shackled in the hotel for like three months. Do the math. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And I wasn't working because now my job is trying to figure out what's happening with me, and I wasn't returning anybody's phone call because I didn't want my mother to know where I was. For some reason, he tracked, I don't know how, but he tracked me down to the hotel where we were staying. This guy was crazy. I am in a totally different state. How did you know exactly where I was staying? Brought my mother, my brother, and my sister down to Connecticut at the hotel we were staying to beg and plead for me to come back. So when my mother came to the hotel room, I, she said to, I said, Ma, did you ask him why I left the house? And right before I left the house, I said to, right before I left my house, before I called it quits with New York, I said to him, I said, you're going to have some explaining to do to mom of why I didn't show up to her house tonight. He was scared. And that's the last thing I said to yeah. him before I left. I said, you are going to have to explain to mom why her daughter did not went to school and did not show up back from school. You know, he waited outside of the college for me, blowing up my phone. I already left. I've been left the state. I left New York, I would say it was in the afternoon. I got to Connecticut probably in the evening time with all the traffic and, and, and stuff. I got to Connecticut around evening time. My phone was blowing up the entire time I was gone, the entire time. Somehow he found out where I was staying, came down, trying to beg. My, my mother's begging and pleading me. I said, Ma, did he, ask, did he tell you why I left Connecticut? I mean, uh, 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 New York? Did he tell you no? I said, how about you go out to the car and ask him why I left? Because I told him he was going to have some explaining to do. Did he explain to you why I left? No. Go to him. She went to him. She was like, at that point now she got the entire uh, state trooper involved. She got um, the local police involved because she told the police that I'm being held against my will. I was 18. No, I was 19, turning 20. How am I being held against the entire police force in the state of Connecticut was trying to look for me? And when they found me, they came knocking on the door. Police was like, are you okay? I said, officer, do I look like I'm in danger? He's like, how old are you? I gave him my license because he did not believe me. I said, I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. I'm having dinner. I'm watching a movie. I'm great. These people, on the other hand, are harassing me. You know, the state trooper told my parents, my mother, I shouldn't call him my parents, I should, my mother told my mother and that guy um, that um, they should stop harassing the police department because they're not here to do this anymore. She needs to go back to New York because obviously I don't want to leave. And that was that. You know, and she was still in denial. She was in denial for a very, very long time. And I told her, I said, Ma, your husband got me pregnant, and I left it at that. Your husband got me pregnant. At that point, I found that I was pregnant. I went to, um, I was living, I was staying at the Days Inn, and across the street was a Walmart. And I didn't have any money, so I went and explained my situation to the pharmacist. 
and the pharmacist told me take this plan B pill and um, it's on me and you should feel better by the morning. And I went and took the plan B pill and I had a, an abortion. I would say that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it happened I don't know if, if this was God's way of saying you know it's not meant to be I, I don't know but it was just very difficult time I was with my boyfriend at that time and then here I am you know taking a plan B pill trying to avoid even more of a mess you know and I felt told him, I mean it was very difficult for for me at that at that time, because of the situation I was in, um, that I left New York, I said my brother took a very hard hit over it. So family did was affected by this. Um, certain family members have blamed me for this, um, and I say whatever. Oh your boy, do I relate to that? <laughs> So, yes, I, I did have some fault, and others were saying, no, it's not your fault, but do I truly do I truly believe they meant it? No, because my family is all, I'm not, I'm, she might, she can bleep this out if she wants to, but they're all full of shit. Like, no one has backed me up for the all I've been through. No one can say that they actually truly and truly love me because of the situation I've been through. Like, I don't feel like part of my family. You know, I feel like an outsider. So me being around my family, it's a fake. Like, I don't know. It was just, it's just hard to explain the life I've been through without you actually living it, you know. But I've come a far away. I really, really and truly have. You have. It was a long, it was a long road to recovery, but I made it, you know. I don't cry about it anymore because it's a past. It's a past for a reason. It's a past. I no longer live that, that past. I'm now living in the future. I'm very happy with my future. I have a wonderful husband who's been supportive of me since I was 20 years old. I'm 32. <laughs> you know? So we have two wonderful kids, you know, together. I have a, I have a wonderful extended family. I can say has been more supportive of me than my own flesh and blood. So I see where the love really is, you know, and like I said, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you should call your mother, you should call your mother, you should do this, you should do that, but the phone works both ways. I've never had a close relationship with my mother, never did, even as a child, never did. I just felt like I was distanced from her, like I couldn't come to her as a mother. I don't know if it's because of her anger or because of what I've been through in my life, like, I didn't know what a mom really was because I was bounced around from house to house. Yes, I see my foster family and how they know how they act around their kids. And I'm like, damn, I wish I had that. Or I wish I was white, you know, like I, you know, like, I, I just feel like, and being that everything is happening now, I just feel like it's, it's hard, but you will, you will, you will. I'm just telling you at 10 times, 110,000 10, times, you will get through this. You will. It's, it's, yeah, it's so great. I didn't ask you to make me cry during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, 
I'm not trying to make you cry or anything, but I'm just trying <laughs> you to, to re- see reality. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I am I am here to to tell you this. You know, you will get you will get through this. There is light at the end of the Thank tunnel. You. And I'm right right at the light. I'm waiting for you at the end of the tunnel. Because you will get through <laughs> it's be hard, you know, and I, I can honestly say, don't push your mother away. You know, yeah, I see you with your mom, and you guys have a wonderful relationship. I don't know what it's like now because I haven't seen you in a while, but from what I've seen when you guys were younger, yes. You know, it's going to be hard to confide in your mother because this is your mother. You know, and that's how I felt. I couldn't come to her for anything because I'm like, I hurt her. You know, this is like, how how can I face my mother after this? You know, I feel disgusted. But then I said to myself, like everyone's been telling me, it's not my fault. I was 12 years old. What could a 12-year-old possibly do? And I see that now. It took me a long time to see that. But hearing young girls' stories, and I'm like, it's not your fault. And I'm like, wait, I was told that. You know, but I thought it was my fault all this, all this the whole time, you know. And only when I became, I would say, a true adult, when I hit my, I want to say, mid-20s, that's when I started to say, okay, this wasn't my fault. This guy was a monster. Like, if he really, truly loved my mother, he wouldn't have done that. Exactly. And, you know, and, for money, and that's what all he was for. My mom, you know, he said it. He said it himself. He only talked to my mom because she thought he thought she was rich. She was coming out of a bank. It's the only reason he hollered at her, and he said it to her in her face, in front of us. So hello, it's Lev. You know, and here you are dressing to your teeth, maxed out her credit cards, and you're out getting yourself another virgin. But now you're suffering from cancer. I'm sorry, but karma. So everyone, everyone will <laughs> get what they definitely, do. Definitely listening to your story and definitely listening to you, it, it is a really big inspiration. And it, it does provide that light. And, you know, for previous episodes, I didn't, like, I've had so many similarities and stories in what I've, what I've heard and, the people we've spoken to so far. But this one is like a very like same thing. It's 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 um what am I I'm stuttering so much right now. Um okay. it's definitely I, I I came at you in all angles, but you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you. Wow. Totally <laughs> still attacked right now. <laughs> um Mm-hmm. No, but I, it's a very vivid. Girl. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. It's a very vivid thing for me to hear, and it's such a. It's basically telling me that there, like you were saying, there is that light at the end of the tunnel, and I have mm-hmm. this very big support group, and it's. I think it's just kind of hard, really, in all aspects, in all honesty, it is hard for me to realize that I do have a support group. Like in the back of my mind, I know I have a support group. But it's like mm-hmm. I spent so much time hiding all of this from everyone. And I spent so much mm-hmm. time being afraid to share my own emotions and to share my mind that 
it's like, okay, but if I do this, it's going to be really scary in sharing and, and going to people for help. But it's like slowly I've been, I've been doing this where it's slowly I'll be reaching out. Like I'll reach out to mom randomly and I'll be like, hey, mom, how are you today? And, it's, and she'll just text back like, oh, that was random. Are you okay? And it's just, or I'll go to my friends and be like, hey, what's up? How are you guys doing today? And it's just that's my way of like reaching out and helping and not helping, but reaching out for help. And it just took a really long time for me to realize I do have that support system. And then hearing hearing you say, like, it takes time to trust and it takes time to get to a point where you realize you have this support group and you realize you have these people in front of you. It's just like, okay, so it's not weird for me to not realize this right now. It's not weird or strange or abnormal for me not to think like this yet. So it's it's a very really really inspiring. I I think I've, this is the most I've cried in an episode. But I know me to make you inspiring. I just want other girls to be aware. You know, like even though you've had a rough patch, there is light. You know, you, there is help. You don't want to get professional help. That's perfectly fine. I didn't. Like I said, I walked out of my therapist's office multiple times. As you guys know, help. And I walked right out, right out, because they didn't know where I was coming from. No one understood where I was coming from. So that's why I felt like I was shut down. Everyone is quick to say, go talk to somebody, go talk to somebody. But I'm not that, I communicate better through writing. I can tell you my, I can tell you my entire life history, but I have to put it in writing. Like it took a lot for me to say, to agree to this. But I'm like, you know what, it need to, people need to know other girls, Girls, guys, whoever, everyone needs to know there is hope. You don't need to seek. You don't need to seek professional help. A small community of people you can trust one another who's been through the similar situation. Go a very this, long way. You have. At least you're talking about it and not bottling up inside you. Now I'm preaching to the choir because I, I bottle up. I, I bottle up things inside me all the time. But I need to talk about it when I feel like I'm ready. You can't push it on me because then I'll just resent you and, and not want to talk about it anymore. And then I'm just going to exactly. go right back to clear one and say, okay, I'll talk about it whenever I feel like it. Like, for example, my husband and I, our biggest pet peeve, his biggest pet peeve with me is if something is bothering me, I don't tell him what's on my mind right away. Because I kept things inside me for 20-something years and I can't just spill my guts out to you. I need to think about it, process it. How do I talk about this? when I'm ready for it. It may not be when you're ready. I feel like I'm ready. And I'll tell him things. I'm like, oh, remember that day? He's like, what day? You know, and he was like, well, why didn't you tell me about it then? I'm like, because I wasn't ready. You know, and I, I am working on that. It's a work in progress, but I've gotten better. Not not as good as I, as I would like it to be, but it, it's definitely, you know, I don't take a week. It takes like a couple of days now. But, you know, it's, it's, you have to talk about it when you feel like you're ready. I feel like no one should be pushed into this. But that doesn't mean you hold things up inside you for years. Like, give or take a few months, then you can slowly start, you know, letting your feelings out. Like, mind you, I worked at the hospital, so I'm a nursing assistant. So I see rape victims coming all the time. I see... um girls who come in who didn't know they were pregnant, but it was a rape uh, pregnancy. They didn't know they were pregnant. Like, I just had a, a patient the other day. She came in, and she delivered a baby. She had no idea she was pregnant. 
She didn't want nothing to do with the baby because she was a rape victim. She didn't want to talk about it. She wouldn't do anything. She shut down. So we kind of just let her be, you know. And I went in and I told her, I said, I just wanted to let you know I read your chart and I can tell you I sympathize with you. I understand what you're going through. I didn't birth a child, but I understand what you were going through. You know, and she hugged me. She hugged me and she broke down. When I tell you I, she broke down, she broke down. She told me everything. I think I spent like two hours in her room talking to her that no one else could have talked to her about, professional help-wise. But someone who has been down that road, sort of, kind of, you know, not to that extent, but has seen, has gone through that, you know, can feel her pain. You know, and that's when she was like, I've never felt this yeah. comfortable before. That's what you want. You want somebody to feel comfortable. You don't want to just like, so tell me what happened and why did this happen? The, the 21 questions is not helping the situation. No, it so, doesn't. It, it really doesn't. So and that's when I feel like I was being bombarded with questions. Like when I finally opened up my situation on Super Bowl my my story to my family on Super Bowl Sunday, I was getting questions thrown at me at all angles, all angles. Why did it happen? How did it happen? How long has it been happening? You know, like, I'm like, whoa, I felt like my brain was going to explode. And that's when I felt like I started shutting down again. Because here you, here I am, finally got the guts after years and years of being abused. Finally got the guts to explain, to come out and to tell somebody that my family, who I didn't even trust, who has a mouth, like you could tell one person and the whole entire avenue knows about it already. So that's how I felt. I felt like if I told one person, even though you told that person not to tell anybody, it's a telephone line. It could just continue. So, I, you know, I when I finally grew the balls, I should say. You, you, uh, you can edit this out if you want to. But when I finally grew <laughs> to, to tell um, people, my family, about this situation, I was getting thrown questions left and right, left and right, and questions I couldn't even keep up with the answer to. And then I just shut down and I said, I can't do this no more. I can't do this no more. And then I just went into basically shutdown mode for a very long time. It took me a very long time. I think when I met my husband, that's when I finally opened up and told my story to him because I felt like with somebody outside of my family. I wasn't going to get questions being thrown at me, and he didn't. He let me speak. At one point, I thought he hung up the phone. That's how quiet it was. You know, he was like, no, I'm still here. I'm listening. He was waiting for me to ask questions, like, how do you feel about this? You know, and that's what made me feel comfortable. I think that's where my trust started to build again was when I met him you know I didn't feel like he was in it for one thing I feel like he was in it for my heart until this day yeah I, I feel that way so trust is a big issue you just have to find somebody um, that you can talk to at your own pace whether it be a small community of us you know girls or us people who have been through this situation at least we can Talk to one another about this. I would advise you don't hold it in. It rips you apart. It rips you apart. And that's what it did to me until I started to talk about this. So it is, you know, like I keep saying, there is light at the tunnel. It's a very long path, but you will get there with your support system I, right I... behind you.
I thank you for sharing this with me, and I thank you for kind of coming on this episode with me and and, and sharing this. It, it it really it it is really a big inspiration, and I think that's the only word I could use right now. But it it really does help, and I also applaud your bravery with this. So you, I know you did mention that you were. It took a lot to come on and to share this, and you're more of a, a what is it, a written? Is this a written person, or I don't know how to describe it, but you like more writing, writing it mm-hmm. out, and like journaling yeah. in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's. <laughs> I think yeah. that it's a really big thing that you came on and verbally explained all of this, and I know it takes a lot. I know. For me to even talk about it, and when mom brought up the whole podcast thing, and at first it was like, oh boy, this is going to be very interesting to explain my story. It's going to be very interesting to explain it on such a, you know, big platform. Mm -hmm. But it also helps, and I I know you mentioned this earlier, it helps to talk about it, and it helps to share it, because the more that you share it, the more that you're paying attention to the pain, and more that you're working to ease that pain. Nope. I agree. I agree. And, you know, so, it took, I'm, I'm upset at myself that it took this long for me to realize it, that it's not my fault. You know, I, like I kept shutting people down and they kept saying it's not your fault, it's not your fault. I'm like, yes, it is. I guess it is. I kept blaming myself. Yes, it is. I, 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 if it wasn't my fault, then I shouldn't have let this happen. It wouldn't have gotten this far. But then, you know, I keep, I see it now, like, I, like you know, like I said earlier, I was 12 years old, I mean, 12, 13 years old, like, like, what do you know about that, you know? You know about it, but you don't know about it, you know what I mean? Like, I, at least, at least that was for me, because I felt like I was sheltered my entire life. Like, I didn't know anything, so I knew what sex was, but I didn't know what sex was, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, know, it, was, it was hard to explain. Because I was sheltered, and you know, I'm being sheltered. You don't really know what the, you go to school and come home. You don't see what's, what's on the outside world. That's it. And that's how I lived my life for 20 years. For 20 years, I, I couldn't go to friends' house. I couldn't go to anyone's house. It's, even if my family's house, I couldn't have sleepovers because it was an issue, like trust issues. You know, so it's, I don't know. But I lived through it. I you know, came this far, you will too, I'll be right here holding your hand, you know, you know, I, your, your mother probably doesn't even know half of this stuff, she's probably going to be shocked out of the world right now when she hears this, this story, but some of this stuff a lot of people don't know, and that's my way of dealing with it, they don't need to know this, I've learned, lived, learned, and moved on, lived from it, learned from it, and I've moved on. One thing I could say is, you know, I knew my mother chose him over me when she made me change my story. I went to court and everything, and they made me change my story and tell the judge that I made this story up. That was when I knew my love for my mother was done, that my mother chose him over me. When she was, she had this whole story made up saying that I was with my friends and my friends told me to say this happened because I didn't want to get caught with my sleeping with my boyfriend. She had this story planned out to the T. Like it was almost believable. So when it was my turn now to go see the judge, 
went up to tell my side of the story and I started crying. I was crying, one, because I knew this man was going to be set free, and two, none of this, like, no one, like, justice system is screwed up. You know, like, they're going to look at me as if I'm a liar now, but deep down inside I wasn't. You know, so when I went up to the judge and I told the judge, I was like, Your Honor, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know it was going to come this far. I didn't know all this was going to happen. I was talking to my friends and I was trying to think of the story. You know, mind you, I'm on a lot of pressure. I know this is not true. How do I come up with this, think of this story that my mom just told me a week ago that this is what I need to do? You know, and I did it. The story didn't make any sense coming from me because she knew I was nervous. You know what the, the judge told me? She came off of her bench and she hugged me and says to me, I know your story is a lie. I know you were sexually assaulted by this man, but you're telling me it never happened and you took an oath that it never happened? So I believe you it never happened. She hugged me and she cried and she was like, I am so sorry. She knew I was lying. But it was my words against his. So I had to tell the the judge this never happened. And this man walked out of that courtroom with the biggest smile on his face. That point, I wish he got hit by a car. I was like, you know, I just wish something would fall and just done with that. You know, it was just so upsetting to see him walk out of there knowing I just lied. I took an oath to God. I swore on a Bible that I would tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And here I am in front of the judge lying right to her face. She knew I was lying. She knew I was. But she had no choice but to grant this man free because I said the story never happened. Because there's no way I gave them such, and the judge was like, there's no way you gave details. I, she said, details to the mark he has on his butt. How did you know that, she said to me. You know, so it was like, damn. Like, I really had, I gave them, I didn't realize how detailed I gave them the in the police report how what happened. And that's what she was like, I know you're lying. Because there's no way that this is all detailed. And that this never happened. My police report was four pages long. That's how detailed it was. So he walked out of there scot-free like nothing happened. Then he went upon his merry life. And my mother continued to be with him and, and stay with him until up to a few years ago they got divorced. Because he cheated on her once again. I'm so sorry that, that, that it upsets me how... And I can't say much um, about the, the justice system because it, it is really screwed up. And it is. I, it, it's, it's just, we don't get any justice, really. Because even if we were, it's for sexual assault, it's, they get maybe seven years in prison. And that's it. Like, you messed up my life for my, you messed up my entire life. And you only get seven years in prison, right? So it's 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 all it's a whole other story with the justice system. Um, But is there any like 
other advice that you'd like to give to the viewers, especially other girls or guys even, including that too, um, who have been through the situation or are going through it? I can honestly say this. You're not in this alone. And if anyone can hear my story and actually learn from it, and, you know, when I look back at my life now, I say to myself, damn, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. Like, I didn't have a childhood at all. Like, I became a young woman before I went through puberty. Like, you know, there's stuff that I didn't even, not even supposed to know as a child that I know, you know, and that's the role that I took on. I feel like I became an adult way too soon because I had my sister to take care of, too. You know, my sister was in the system with me, too. So I feel like I had to be her mother. I had to be her strong support person. You know, she knew what I went through. My brother, on the other hand, who is his, who is, that's my um, stepfather's son. So my brother does not know what happened because I don't want him to hate his father. Because he is the reason why my brother, I left my brother when he was five years old. Both wanted a brother. I love my brother to death. I got my brother. I left my brother when he was five years old in New York. That was his prime, his prime time. You know, my brother started doing bad in school, wasn't listening because I wasn't there for him. You know, and my brother asked me, so my, I have a nickname at my house. So my, my brother would say to me, I'm not going to say my nickname, but my brother, so I'm going to just say a made-up name like Mary. It's not my name, but Mary. So he was like, Mary, why did you leave? Why did you leave? And I said to him, honey, when you become at age, I will tell you when I feel like you're ready. I just don't want, he's like, well, is it because of daddy? I'm like, I can't answer that. You know, so it's like, I left my entire life, my brother was my life, you know, to come and start my whole new life here. I have no idea this is how it's going to come down. You know, like, I love my new life now. Do I miss my childhood? Yes, I would like to experience a childhood. But that was taken from me at a very young age. But it made me become a better woman than I am today that I'm able to get through past this and move on. You know, will I forget? Absolutely not. Maybe if I get dementia, then I'll forget it. But until then, (laughs) no, I won't forget it. Do I forgive? Yes, because God has taught us to forgive anyone, no matter how bad they hurt you. Will they see my, I've forgiven my mother, my mother doesn't know that, but my heart has forgiven her. Have I tried to build a relationship with my mother? Yes, but it fails. It's not, I, it, it's not meant to be. Do I love my mother? Unconditionally. She's my mother. I will do anything for this woman. You know, but that's my mother. But to feel like I was hurt by her, that she chose him over me, and I got blamed for her marriage being broken up, that was hurtful. Very hurtful. You know, but I have forgiven and moved on. So my advice to the young viewers out there, do not give up. 
there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is other people besides professional help that can help you through this. Um, it could be somebody as far as like the librarian, somebody you feel like you can trust. Talk about it at your own pace. When you feel like you're ready, don't let people push you into talking about it. It's a very touchy subject, very touchy subject. And I'm not emotional about it anymore because I've moved on. You know, and I found me telling my story is comforting for my soul because I can talk about it without becoming emotional. Before, I couldn't talk about it without crying. This, like every five seconds I would be crying because I would play the, as I'm talking about it, I would play the image in my head as if it's like it just happened yesterday. I'm not going to forget it because I can play it. And like I said, certain things will trigger it. You just have to move on. Whatever, you know. It's, good. it's not going to be something that's going to be easy forgetting because even now that I'm, I'm talking about it, I can play back the scenes in my head. You know, it, it doesn't bother me anymore, but it still hurts. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, like yeah. I've been through that. You know, I feel like my husband, technically, my husband is the first guy I have ever slept with. Hands to God. In the eyes of God, that's, my husband is the first guy I have ever been with, minus the situation that happened. Of course. So I feel myself that I was a virgin, but not really a virgin, you know what I mean? Like, in the eyes of God, I was, but in reality, I wasn't. So it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird, it's weird to explain, but I feel like there is, there is help out there. Um, not professionally. If you feel like you don't need professional help, you don't have to seek professional help. There's other ways you can talk about this. You know, so reach out to anybody you can. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's not the end of the world. It's. It's. You feel like your world has come crumbling down and crashing down. Absolutely, 110 percent. It happened to me. The moment it happened, I felt like I just didn't know how to deal with life anymore. You know, because it's not something I wanted. It was something that was forced on me. Exactly. And trust will, be, trust will be an issue, but but we all work through this. It's like building trust all over again. I trust. Do I trust people now? To an extent, I gotta fill you out first before I can say I trust you. I'm not gonna let you in my inner circle without basically like scanning you, because I don't. I have that <laughs> trust issue with people. You know, I wouldn't consider yeah. you a friend until I get to know you better. You know, then I'm like, oh, you're cool. You know, whatever. But that's that's just how I, I live my life now. You know, I have trust issues because I just don't know who to really trust anymore because of what I've been through. And I'm working on that. You know, I'm working to let my guard down a little bit, but my guard is always up. It's always up. But, you know... I can say that everyone will get through this. It's going to take it's going to take a, a long time. It's there's no time limit on when how long it takes. Everyone recovers differently from situations. It took me a long time. It happened when I was tw you know when I was 12. I finally was able to tell my story. I would say probably I don't know uh seven, yeah 17. So look how long it took me to tell my family. And then for me to come out and tell the world, I'm 32 years old now. 
No, no, no one knows most of it. Like my husband knows everything. Obviously, I don't hide anything from him. But no one really knows what I really have been through. You know, and I've come a far way. I can actually say I'm very proud of myself. I came a far away. It was a lot of help and support and guidance, but I, I made it here. I made it here, and I'm here to tell the story. So, well, there is. I am. You, you've accomplished a lot. You, you've you've been through a lot, and I'm I'm so happy to hear that you're in a better place now, and that my main message from that I've gotten from you is that I it will take a long time, but I will heal and I will overcome what I've been yes. through. And I want to you thank sure. you so much for coming onto this episode and for sharing your story. I want to thank all the listeners for listening to your story and for hearing our emotional stuff going on. <laughs> I know I was quiet for a lot of it, but it's because I was just listening. And when I listen and I get emotional, it's just like, they put myself on mute real quick because I don't want anyone hearing that I'm actually crying. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. And as always, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Hi, it's Tessia again. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you could please follow our Instagram at breaking underscore the underscore cycles. And our Twitter handle is breaking underscore the underscore psych CY7. Also, please sub to our website at breakingthecycles.net. See you next week.